Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. So, Jude, uh, you lost an item of clothing overboard yesterday. I did. I lost my denim jacket. We didn't see it go, did we? No. Didn't even see her hang it over the side then? That was it. I didn't hang it over the side. No. I didn't, no. This is over the side of the Dixie Queen. Yes. On the, uh, on the Thames on yesterday. On the Thames, as it was referred to several times. Um, <laughs> yes, basically, I um, was having a photo taken with uh, Kay Mossman and Eamon Ford. I think we were um, just gurning and we, we were, were concentrated gurning, on gurning. And I had my leg around Eamon, yeah. obviously. Of course. Uh, not for the first time, etc. And... Um, and the, my jacket was over my bag, so I slipped out and got on the floor. And a woman just said, has anyone got a denim jacket? A woman here, I said, yes. And I looked down, and my, bag had, my coat had obviously slipped out. There it was, receding. And the wind had taken it. It was going towards the sea, going to the, the open sea. I didn't sea. see it. It was just, it just gone. It was such a shock, wasn't it? It was a real shock. Yeah, but it was $10 <laughs> in America. It was very nice. If that's so the that's only okay. casualty of yeah. the word on the water, I think we did all right, didn't yeah. we? Yeah. We, we had a good day, didn't we? You live in Greenwich, and it's... Kind of, uh, I guess, washed up. Then yes, do let me know. It's it back to <laughs> Word magazine. It was yeah. a fantastic day. It was fantastic. a good day. Of which more later, and and the podcast that we recorded uh, on the boat, which was going to be inserted into this podcast. So more of that later. But first of all, obviously the the big um, the big sad news of this weekend, from an entertainment point of view, is the death of Amy Winehouse, mm. uh, which is obviously something that. Uh, that we've been talking about a great deal in the office. Mm. Kate, you live you live nearby, didn't you? Well, I, I do. I'm about two minutes away, and I got a text from Fraser and I were texting each other during the day, and um, and he said, "Are you going to go round and have a look? Apparently, there are people outside the house." And it hadn't occurred to me. And then I suddenly had that weird moment where I thought, "I can't not do this because this moment will pass, and I'll look back and I'll think, why didn't I just go over to you know to see the vigil, as it were?" So I potted over. Um, and it was very strange. It sort of, there were about 80 people, and in the time that I was there, it grew to about 150. And it, it, this began at night, so about 9 o'clock or 10 o'clock when it was already dark. That's when people started coming. And um, it was a rather kind of sad little gathering with police tape and everything. Um, a few bunches of flowers and a few candles and some policemen standing outside the house. But it was kind of fascinating because we stood around and everyone seemed to be waiting for something yeah, yeah. and no one knew what and it was very very quiet and uh, at one point there were, there were lots of families lots of little kids who um probably only just aware of who she was really and this uh, little girl came up on her dad's shoulders um they looked at it for a while and then they turned to go away and she started crying and she said no no i want to stay and he goes what do you want to stay for and she goes i want to watch <laughs> you oh, think yeah. it's tragic there's nothing to look at um yeah. But there was uh, someone who brought a very strange um, painting along as well with some sort of rather grotesque eye makeup and propped that up against oh, all the tree trunks. Oh, that's not the knees, actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There was quite a lot of... Do you think this will, the, the, the speculation is that this, this will turn out to be... It's a kind of John Lennon moment for, for a, a later Might generation. Be. Where were you? Do, you, yeah. do you think it will be like that, Jude? Yeah, it's funny because I was working on Saturday afternoon and I had Twitter up mm. and then it just popped up. And, you know, there was a rumour about a year ago that she died. Um, and, you know, there are always rumours about famous mm. people dying on Twitter. Yeah. You never ch- trust the veracity of Twitter. Um, but it very it very quickly became clear that this had happened. What shocked me was 
how quickly it got announced, actually. Yeah. Mm. She was, you know, the police were called to her house at 10 to 4. Yeah. And this was like quarter past five. Quarter past um, five. I think we like knew that. before her father did because he was. No, I wouldn't be surprised on, at all. On his way to New York in a plane, apparently. And, wow. uh, yeah, he's going away to to do a gig himself, wasn't and the he? The news broadcast I heard was that his he hadn't been informed yet because he was in midair. Yeah. yeah. No, I think you're right. You know, I, I know a lot of people. You know, obviously, Twitter is a great barometer of public opinion and all its extremes. Um, and a lot of people were saying, you know, all this fuss about one pop star that you know actually didn't record much material alexis petrie has made a very good point in mm. a guardian piece today he said her reputation basically rests on a, a handful of songs really you know kind of an album worth of songs yeah. um and a couple of covers and that's it really but i do think because we haven't really had somebody of this generation that, that this has happened to is kind of one of those rock star deaths that seems to be of, you know, rock mythology past. The fact that this has happened now. And it really freaked me out, particularly because I remember Frank being reviewed in Word when I first worked at Word, which seems incredibly mm. recently right. in a lot of ways. And it just seems that, you know, her coming into pop culture and, you know, leaving it in, you know, yeah. a very final I think that's a, a horrible way is just really shocking actually yeah there's a bit of a kind of cartoon thing as well because you know how sort of cartoon characters you knock them down no matter how many times you do they always get up and it's just so sort of extreme that what she was the visual side that you saw of amy winehouse was so extreme for the last few years that i think mm. the shock of when it was actually announced was mm. it, you kind of never imagined it was actually going to happen i also thought she'd be like keith richard she just kind of keep yeah. on going this is a really interesting point because i think people like keith richards have got a they've got a self-preservation component about them there's that, something that rescues them, them from their, their their own worst excesses. Mm. Whereas the impression I got, I never met her, uh, but but reading about her was that she was always just pushing it as far as she possibly mm. could, and she was she kind of reveled in being out of control. Yeah, yeah. do you think that's true? There's an interview that Paul Denoyer did very early on in the days of Word, which was on Paul's website. We should um, post it on the Word website. Actually, yeah. it's very revealing because it's not long after Frank came out, and you know, we, if we look. Back to Frank. It wasn't that popular a record. People talk about it. Oh, it was this great no, no. first album. I remember in the Word Office, it was almost a scene that, that in the Word of Public, that it had sort of failed as a record. She's been really pushed as an artist, but it didn't really connect with the public. Mm. Um, but still, she was an incredibly refreshing character. And Paul did this interview with her up in Camden. And even then, there were these quotes from her saying, You know, I wish I could get away from the workings of my brain sometimes. I can't remember the exact quote, but she is, gosh, this is 2003, so she's, you know, 20. 1920 and yeah. already she's just this person who has this in her that she can't get away from um and you know if you see her in videos um in, in interviews i've just been watching so many things with her recently it's a fantastic interview that i did put on the word website with them um, that with jonathan ross interviewing her very early on in her career and um, and that often translated that kind of darkness in her I, you know there, there was this kind of weird mm. darkness in her as a person you know, could translate into very f- sharp humour. And that, you know, you could see on one of her famous Nevermind the Buzzcocks appearances and all these things, she had that real black humour about her. But um, it's really hard not to watch those things now. Or actually, I listened to Back to Black for the first time in about a year, and it was like listening to the Lost Joy Division record. You sort of think, all this is here in the lyrics, yeah. and why didn't we realise? You know, obviously, it's, it's, it was made a long time ago, and it's not going to the same level um, of despair. But you know, there are things that a young woman is singing about that are very, very, very dark, mm. actually. What do you think about the fact that, that she seemed to kind of completely re, rebuild herself sort of physically in the last few years? That, that, the impression I got was that she was a person with an enormous talent but couldn't quite deal with the attention that the talent brought. Yeah. And, and, and I think there were a load of uh, things that made her life very difficult because she was a woman. And... And, you know, the, the, there's a certain kind of attention on her. There's an externalising of that and, problem, is And so there? you have yeah. this tiny person mm. on these huge heels with this immensely high hair, yeah. as if it was all trying to be big enough to... There is a quote that she said that, you know, the worse she feels, the bigger her beehive. She, the bigger <laughs> she does a beehive. Right, Like right. she's at, almost trans- 
transforming herself into a sort of cartoon yeah. character in a way. No, you know, I don't mean, and I don't mean that meanly. Um, I think if she was here now and you said that to her, she'd probably she's kind of one of them. She's not a very feminine character in a lot of ways, even though that look is very much taking the, in, its influence from you know sixties girl groups. But she, I, I would be ter- I, I did an interview in person. I interviewed her once on the phone for Word for the end of two thousand six issue. Yeah. Well, she was in the she was in the taxi going to a friend's house for a oh, bath. I remember that. I remember yeah. just and I was on the phone for an hour to her, and she was just I've laughed so much. But um, she is very cocky um, in a way, but also very, she's kind of very cocky, but also very vulnerable. Yeah. You felt like if you said the wrong thing, she'd get really upset. But um, she was never a sex symbol, was she, either? There wasn't that. No, no, no. Yeah, there's some fantastic shots for um, Island or Universal today, apparently, at the head offices. All the TVs are off, and there's just one image of Amy Winehouse. And if you go to her website, I'm sure it'll be up all week, amywinehouse.com is just one beautiful image of her from you know, just before Back to Black, mm. I think. And yeah, that's all that's yeah. there. And you know, she was a, an attractive woman, but she was kind of not in a... She never played to that, you know, she never, you know, was... A sex symbol, really. really yeah. Girliness there, wasn't no, it? No, it was no, girliness. Very, yeah, not even strength, there's something else, something yeah. really... Fierceness. There was an amazing photo I saw um, in a, a photo agency a couple of years ago that was taken in 2007 of her. She'd been snapped in a local um, corner shop, rifling through the tabloids to see what articles had been written about her. And on the mm. front of every one, she was on the front of it, and she just nipped out for some milk, but that was the thing. She was like, what have they said about me in the mirror, what's in the sun, and all that kind of thing. Just she she had a very of... complicated relationship with her own mm. fame, I think. You yeah. Know? And it you know, came under... It came out of the pressure of 24-7 rolling news and all that, you know, so the, yeah. the, whatever problems, I don't know, James Dean or Janis Joplin might have had, it's far more accelerated yeah. now, mm. isn't it? And it's impossible to, to escape from it. The other thing that struck me is, is because I, I live in Southgate, which is where she came from. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Which is kind of your absolute standard North London suburb, you know. You know, it was always a significant Jewish community, and the bit that she came from was Osage. You know, is it the most absolute standard bit of it. Mm. She went to Osage Primary School. She went to Ashmel School for about a year, and then she was hoiked out of this into mm. the into, into the Brit- Sylvia Young Sorry, School, which she mm. did a year there and got chucked out. Yeah, she did. <laughs> and then the Brit School, and then the whole of the rest of her life must have been spent in rooms yeah. with people discussing what she was going to sing mm. and how it was going to go. And looking at, at you know her image in the mirror, and you know mm. she kind of had any of the elements mm. of, a, of a normal growing up mm. that anybody had. And you know? I think the thing that always gets you with situations like this uh, is the loneliness of the final days of these people. I mean, general loneliness, I imagine. You know, when she wasn't at a party, she was probably in the house by herself doing things she shouldn't have been doing. And that sense that the the, the weird. Um, a dichotomy between all the, the eyes of the world on you and actually no one being with you at all mm. in that moment. You're always in your bedroom, you're always by yourself, you've always got the ex- expectation of what you're going to do next and I think that's the tragedy of those kind of things yeah. is that no one can help no matter how close they are to you. I, I think that's yeah. true. They had Alan McGee on the, talking about it on the radio this morning He said that you know, with drugs you've got to want to yeah. You've got to want to mm. stop, you know. All the kind of interventions and counselling in the world aren't, aren't going to make any difference. And also when she's in this bubble of a world that she sort of helped create, you know, the kind of... And all the songs are about a dramatic personality that's obviously influenced by who she is. Um, you know, a lot of women who have been successful... Actually, you know, she's a very different performer, thankfully. But um, Adele, you know, now, who is like... You know, like Amy Winehouse was, like, came up with a second album out of nowhere that became absolutely massive. Um... And Adele is similarly this person who, in all her interviews, talks like, I've got to be in this kind of really messed up place to write songs, really. I kind of almost kind of bite, think about this great tradition of all the singers that have come, female singers that have come before you yeah. and who've been in these dark places or whatever. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's just... Luckily, she doesn't have to exist within that kind of... Um, vampy kind of bubble that wine she, has, and also she, she keeps well out of the media really she, yes. you know, she d- does not get involved at all i think that's very sensible and I'm, I'm not seeing what's happened to other female artists i wonder if people around her have helped her with that yeah. it must be incredibly um anxiety inducing to think well what if i just want to become normal one day i'm not allowed mm, to i always yeah. have to be this person that i've created yes you're yeah. stuck with it you know well yeah. that's that's what happens in entertainment if you succeed you get your wish you yes. know which is the uh, is the most terrible thing that can happen to anybody apart from obviously mm. what happened this weekend i really thought she would be like um keith that's what's really yeah. sad and um there's um sylvia patterson wrote a piece for a website i used to run a couple of years ago called the lipster 
Um, and it ended with her saying, you know, I want to be like Elton John having a Las Vegas residency with all my kids saying, oh, I'm really embarrassed about you, Mum, and all this kind of stuff. And that really, yeah. that's what really got me, actually. It made me really, I read that again and it made me cry yeah. because you can imagine her being this artist that would just go on forever. Um, and it's just yeah, terribly sad. Yeah, some great collaborations, a new hairdo, that kind of thing. <laughs> and then yeah, Tony Bennett, um, who I've interviewed for the next issue of Words, talked about her quite a lot, I think the... Um, which is quite, that'll be the next issue, but it's um, be quite sad looking back at that, actually. Yeah. This is a junction in the Word podcast. It separates that bit from this next bit. So we were all on the river yesterday on the Word on the Water gig uh, where we took over the Dixie Queen, an absolutely authentic in every respect Mississippi steamboat, yes? Yeah, it was. On the Thames. <laughs> and uh, did everybody have fun? It yes. Was, it was great, but the best thing of all was the fact that Tower Bridge really did open. It did. <laughs> How many times did it open, Kate? Twice. The, no, no, more. Was it three? No, of course, four times. Four four times. Total of four times, oh, if, you, yeah. if you've gone back to the dock, because it docked across the river on the other side of Tower Bridge. So Fraser and I joined it, first of all. Fraser was setting things up for the podcast. <laughs> we got to go under it to the, um, to the departure point. And it's just a magnificent sight, isn't oh, it? it's so exciting. When it opens in front of you. Yeah. I'd never seen that from the river before, and I've lived in no. London and nearly all my life. it disrupts the traffic on two sides of the river as well, just for our little boat, which doesn't need it to open at all, because it wasn't exactly <laughs> it that high. It must have needed it, mustn't it, Fraser? I don't think it's, just, it? I think it's just about the height of it. Really? So it it's like when you have a lorry it. and you're going under a bridge, you know, in the middle of the countryside. <laughs> they added a few Gotta check your height. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so really the good. sun shone. Yes. And, uh, you know, people were out on deck enjoying all the sights. And, you know, we were, it, went, it went east from Tower Bridge, didn't it? So it went all the way down to Greenwich and past the Naval College and all this stuff. And the of posh thing. flats as well. It's always yeah. amazing ogling the kind of um, city blades flats on the river. And mm. sort of... uh, but, but what a grand day out, wasn't it's it? Fantastic. It's fantastic. And so, as we said, we, uh, amongst the entertainment, we had obviously the main feature was C.W. Stone King, who was, I thought was remarkable. Yeah. I thought that the whole show was just fantastic because the boat was just moving to the motion of the songs he was singing. Yeah. You know, that, that, those are songs, you know, set in the kind of notational south in the, in the 1920s and 30s, aren't they? Yeah. So to be on the, the boat Mark on the Twain water... The Mark Twain kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah. It just had that kind of ease about it. One of the it? things I liked about him was he, he seems to spend like 100% of his time inhabiting this strange character. But also at the same time, he, he's mocking the character at the same time. He, t- he makes jokes about himself. Yes. Which I thought was really interesting. <laughs> well, he's a ventriloquist, isn't he? He's got great comic timing as well. Well, that bit where he does a dialogue in, yeah. in, uh, yeah. in two voices is, is absolutely remarkable. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so before him, we actually recorded a bit of a podcast uh, in front of the people in the ballroom aboard the Dix- Dixie Queen. Uh, and we're very fortunate to have with us the man who normally just supplies on tape the uh, little stings that go through this podcast. Uh, and so it was introduced by uh, Kerry Shale. Ladies and gentlemen, from the upper deck of the Dixie Queen, majestically cutting its way down Old Father Thames, we bring you Word on the Water, a lazy Sunday afternoon made of banter, blues and booze. Would you please welcome your hosts for this special Word podcast, David Hepworth and Mark Ellen. Work for this for a long time. Come on. We should stand. You don't get any applause at all, This is so exciting, isn't it? We never normally have applause. Just us sitting in a room waffling. <laughs> we normally record the word podcast in the in the mixmag fashion cupboard, which is acoustically perfect because you're surrounded by clothes and coats absolutely everywhere, and uh, it has no daylight or anything like that, no facilities, and it's incredibly hot. Uh, but we like it, don't we? But this is delightful, isn't it's it? Absolutely delightful. Now, for the benefit of anybody who's listening, Mark, who's not who's not um, uh, fortunate enough to be joining us here on the uh, in the ball room of the Dixie Queen. Can you describe what you're seeing? Outside, well, first of all. Outside, we came down to the Tower Quay, and uh, we were told, amazingly, that Tower Bridge was going to lift its bridge to allow the Dixie Queen through, which I, I didn't believe was going to be possible, but it did. Did anybody see that, by the way? Yeah. It was absolutely fantastic. And I love the idea that the whole of London has been massively disrupted. Yes. Uh, traffic has been stopped from inconvenience enormously. Uh, tourists on their way to the South Bank and back to the North Bank have had to sit and wait for ten full minutes while a cargo full of merrymakers from Word magazine literally brings London to a, to a halt. But we're very fortunate because we've had a week of terrible weather, but today... 
fortune has smiled on us, hasn't it? We've been it? splashing around the last uh, two weekends, actually, at rock festivals in, in Wellington Boots and pureed mud. So this is a joy. We are now heading at a very leisurely pace down uh, Old Father Thames in this marvellous old paddle steamer <laughs> with the promise of vaudevillian entertainment. Absolutely. It's been... You know, disassembled and, and transported piece by piece from New Orleans. This is absolutely genuine in every Genuinely, respect. Yep. Yeah, Flown and, in yesterday, uh, actually. And reassembled. F. Scott Fitzgerald is actually uh, on the bridge. Yeah, there you go. Smoking a pipe. And so among the entertainment that's, that's coming up in the next two hours or whatever, we've got uh, a set from C.W. C. Stone King and his band. Um, but we've also, we're also got a special musical guest on the podcast. So we've got another band as well. I'll leave that as a bit of a mystery. But first of all, it's I it has think... It has been announced on the website. A bit, <laughs> you can't assume <laughs> that everybody sees everything. Yeah. Uh, uh, first of all, we've got a bit of audience participation, haven't we, Mark? Well, we have As no, they no, say no, on the, the television. Uh, exactly, yes. Yes, we have, David, and I'm glad you asked me that. <laughs> um, moving swiftly on. The, um, we thought that the first five people who bought tickets uh, might like to be on the podcast. And so we're going to invite them up. We haven't managed to locate all of them, actually. We have managed to locate Ben Walker. Ben, you're in the front row. Ben. And we thought we'd get them up. We just asked them all four very simple questions. Ben, come ben, on. Ben, come up here. here. Please, a large Dixie <laughs> Queen round of applause. Ben Walker. <laughs> ben, in keeping with the fact that this is a very unusual uh, gig, in fact, Kate Mossman was going to get uh, um, uh, T-shirts printed with It's a Gig on a Boat, which I thought was quite good, because that's what it is. So we're talking about unusual concerts. You know, what was the first concert you went to? These are the questions we're going to ask everybody. The, the first... The first name band I ever saw was probably The Cure. That's good. Uh, no, that's good. Well, David Atwood's obviously miserable. Was Fraser yeah, Rodian yeah. at the time? <laughs> it was, Fraser um, was there, Rodian, yes. Hammersmith Odeon, 1984-ish. Okay, that's yeah. good. And any memories? Uh, it was a big event. There were, there were a bunch of us in school going down in a minivan. You know, it was, it was very exciting. So how old were you? Uh, 15. Good grief. No, that's, I think that's very reputable stuff. <laughs> <laughs> David Hepp was not very good at mentions of The Cure, I don't know why. No, no. So the, the best concert you've ever seen. We're asking that, everyone this. Best that, concert. That's, that's kind of difficult. I mean, we saw Porter's Head last night at the um, All Tomorrow's Parties thing at, at Ali Pali. Still which, fresh in the memory. Yeah, absolutely. Which, which was quite awesome. Um, but I'm going to go for the, what, the one I remember is, is actually your mate Robin Hitchcock oh, at right. um, Anglia Polytechnic University in the bar. And it was a technical nightmare. The PA wasn't working. In the end, he abandoned it. He and played just, in the bar? He played in the bar. We were all sitting around in tables. Very strange. Um, but in the end, he just abandoned the PA and just serenaded us like a Spanish waiter with his, with his guitar. It was, it was a, what a he, pro. What a true yeah. yeah, He's very good at improvising, Robin, as you know. And we had an example of this recently, which Kerry was present at, when, when he told the story at True Stories Told Live. And Kerry had terrified him so much with the idea that it couldn't be any longer than ten minutes that two-thirds of the way through the story, he just stopped. <laughs> That'll do. He saw the clock, didn't he? Yeah. Panic. <laughs> Actually, Robin. Robin had a concert. He used to do these wonderful concerts uh, every year, where he, he did to hire double decker buses and go around the Isle of Wight, and uh, he did one, I think, with a balloon, and he did one uh, literally on, on, on a canal. And he hired two boats. The band was on the first boat, and all the audience, 150 people, were in the boat following along. <laughs> it was a terrible moment when we were going through some locks or something, and they just got separated. And all sorts of completely pointless. They're sort of playing away. And the audience, who we paid, do that paid handsomely year. for the privilege, couldn't. He'd gone round the bend. They couldn't even see him. You know. So, but it did work. What's the next? And the last question, question was, what's the most fun you've ever had in a boat? Um, well, the jury's still out on today, obviously. Of course, but, um, of course. Falling off a narrow boat into the Grand Union Canal, that, that again is oh, something I'll, okay, I'll always treasure. Okay. I'll always okay. cherish that, yeah. Yeah, having mm. a two or three large beakers of No, Cronenberg. we hadn't actually got to the pub yet. That was, that was the irritating thing. Oh, right, that, OK. You know, so you had to sit in the pubs, we, dripping right. wet with yeah. weed yeah, sodden, all of you. Sodden. Old yeah. shopping trolleys. Oh, yeah. that's good. Yeah. Well, thanks very much. Ben Walker, that's fantastic. Ben Walker. <laughs> we have... Now, is, is Catherine here? Catherine, Catherine very sweetly said she's going to come up and tell us uh, oh, yes. the, the answers to these big riveting questions. Thank you. She's got a minder as well. Catherine, who have you brought to the stage with you? Minder. This is my son, Tom, who's eight. Hello, Tom. And um, he's... <laughs> For Tom, please. <laughs> Excellent. Just, uh, so, Catherine, so now, cool. the questions are, as you know, first concert. Well, I think the first concert was in the mid-70s, and as far as I remember, although I couldn't really hear all of it, it was Motorhead. And, um, surely, surely. <laughs> and, um, Zombies Motorhead. It was yes. in the local cricket pavilion in Northampton, 
And the main thing I remember was getting there early because I was about 14 or 15 and I'd got there on the bus, as you do. And they were rigging up all of the netting across the ceiling to keep the masonry up in the, the hall so that Lemmy's guitar wouldn't... That's precisely what Motorhead should be doing. Yes, yeah, it yeah. was. Yeah. Dislodging lumps of plaster. It was to save room. all us punters from being killed by falling masonry, and I do remember that. Fantastic. So what's the best one you've ever seen? Well, one of the best... Um, I, I, there were so many, but I remember seeing Joe Cox in London years ago and he had the most beautiful backing singers three or four very graceful girls and as I was admiring them I realised they were stepping forward and their job was not so much to sing as to actually stand shoulder to shoulder with Joe Cocker and hold him up at the mic (laughs) beautiful, beautiful, wispy women were actually (laughs) instead of having a stand holding him up yes and they did a great job and it was a lovely time worst or is that something you feel worst it's hard to say but probably probably a poetry gig where only two punters turned up but the poet still insisted on reading the full set anyway I won't say who it was. And can you tell us uh, what's the most fun you've ever had in a boat? I can't actually tell you that. Okay. No. Is it too scurrilous? Is it something is that available on personal? She's not able to stand in front of her son, Tom. Thank you very much. That's fantastic. I think yeah, I think we've actually only got time for one more, so we'll have Nicholas. Is Nicholas uh, Nicholas here? Nicholas. Yes, excellent. We met Nicholas. Yes, we did. Nicholas. Big hand for Nicholas. Hi. Nicholas has, impressively, as we're on a boat, got some tattoos, which is terrific. What's the tattoo of? It's um, Japanese cannoli for hope. Oh, OK. Good. Well, like you do. from yeah. I Heart <laughs> the Beatles or whatever, you know. Popeye. Yeah, I Heart Popeye. So, first gig? It was Hawkwind at Liverpool Stadium in 1971. Very nice. Very nice. Getting a big reaction here. Bigger than The Cure again, I noticed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And what about the the the, the, the best the best ever? a real toss up between Gillian Welsh and uh, David Byrne? Um, oh, possibly he, he David got cerebral Byrne. over time, didn't you? Hawkwind, yeah. Gillian Welsh, <laughs> David yes. Byrne. Yeah, there were a number of years in between. Yes. <laughs> Can we talk about that? People, people, you know, are you able to discuss the the, the worst experience? I mean, I've seen Dogs de Moor, you see, so I'm, I'm you know, find this. this I saw the heavy metal kid. He's seen, you know, we find this no me. problem talking about this. So, oh, we went, went to see the Bachelors about ten years oh, ago. Okay. Charmaine. Um, ten years ago. Charmaine. But they were actually... I mean, they looked like they'd had their suits and makeup done by a mortician. Yep. And singing, <laughs> singing Sweet Sixteen was kind of a little off, really. <laughs> Ready for a revival. I think even seeing The Bachelors in their heyday would have been disappointing for <laughs> ten years ago. So you're asking for it. And the, the, the most, uh, most fun you've ever had in the boat. I think... Uh, I, I find it difficult to answer this one, but I, I, used to be, I used to go to work on the Liverpool ferry from Birkenhead to Ferry. I used to get a real kick about being on the ferry and going to work. So that's, oh, very um, nice. Excellent. Yeah. Superb. Thank you very much, Nicholas. <laughs> now, we're going to have a brief junction here, and I'm going to take advantage of the fact that Kerry is actually here live to get him to lean towards the microphone and provide the junction. You're listening to a paddle-wheeled podcast from The Word. I was just checking the special mystery guest was there because, I, you know, I did once, years ago, go and announce Aswad on stage at the Nottingham Boat Club five times because they weren't ready. I had to do the announcement five times, so it's always best to check that the artist is actually there. Would you please welcome our special guest on the podcast this afternoon, Neil Finn. Neil, you want to go there? Good afternoon. Hey, Good afternoon. Excellent. Delighted you could join us on this uh, magnificent bark making its way down the Thames. It's a pretty damn good place to be in London. I've never actually been on the river in all these years. So, so you get a benefit. Let's ask you some of the same questions we've just been asking uh, members of the audience. First gig you ever went to? very first gig I ever went to was Elton John in, uh, I was about 14 and it was the our tour where he had a live album that came out as, as the same, at the same time. It had a date for a title. I don't oh, know what the date yes, was. 17 something. 72. Was it the Elton it? John trio? With it was just the Dee trio. Dee Murray and I saw yeah, them. Gilford, the, Gilford Civic Hall. Nigel Olsen and Dee Murray. Dee Murray. Exactly, yeah, and they're still there now, aren't they? And everybody had seats in this open air place, and it was the last time I'd ever seen that. They brought out about 20,000 plastic chairs. And what, yeah, right. What, and what was the best gig you've ever been to? Oh, that's a bit tough. But um, I think 
we, we got the first time I ever went to New York, we were being managed by Tommy Matola, um, which is extraordinary to think of now, but um, true. <laughs> is this split ends? Or split ends. Okay. A bit yeah. of a rascal. Explain who he oh, was. Oh, right? yeah, very much so. Yeah, he lives up to every um, every impression you might have of Tommy Matola, who was married to, for anybody who doesn't know, to Mariah Carey, yes. ran Sony Records for years, um, close connections with the family. Although there is no yeah. such thing. No, no, no. no. Apparently. The, the word gangster is... Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, no, we can't. No, no, no. no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Fact, I should be a he little did, careful. He didn't want to break my legs. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's another story which I'm happy to tell you, but actually just to get to the, to the first question was... Uh, but the very first night in New York, we got picked up at the airport and Tommy had organised for us to stand side stage at the Talking Heads, first big band Talking Heads show in Central Park with Adrian Ballou and all the extra people. and So my brother and I stood there. It was a pretty amazing way to arrive in New York, you know. Right. So, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And well, it's still one of my favourite gigs ever. Yeah, yeah. Now you're here. Are you going to tell us about the broken legs first? Come oh, well, <laughs> now we had an Australian manager at the time called Nathan Brenner who was a very suspicious, paranoid guy from Melbourne and he, got, he had to deal with Tommy and Tommy and he would just really never got on. And Tommy was really annoyed by having to deal with anybody from Australia, I think, but um, <laughs> particularly Nathan. And so it just got a worse and worse relationship until we did a gig at the Roxy in L.A. one night. And Nathan had his sister worked for Martin Scorsese um, and oh, no, no, uh, Francis Ford Coppola and had brought him along for the night as a special guest, had a table in the VIP section at the Roxy. Um, unbeknownst to him, Tommy had bought Bette Midler. So they, were, had, they had sort of con- challenging celebrity situation right. going on. And Tommy claimed the front table with Bet, and then um, Nathan turned up with uh, Francis Ford Coppola, and there was a dust-up in the VIP section, <laughs> which, led, which led to Nathan spitting at Tommy's face in the VIP section. That was kind of the end of our career in North America, really, at that point. <laughs> well, since then, Crowded House, and Crowded House still going. Ah, uh, we are, yeah. yeah. We're, we're, and and uh, Solar Records, and... Records with your brother. Yeah, just trying to confuse as many people as possible. <laughs> and the latest element of the confusion yeah. is the pyjama club. Yeah, that's right. Tell us about that. Well, um, we were just of, of an evening at home. My wife Sharon and I were um, found ourselves with some extra hours to fill in. Our boys had both left home, um, musicians in their own right. And um, uh, instead of turning to cards, which Sharon always beats me at and I'm not really that good at um, or interested now... <laughs> Um, we went and jammed one night and had a really made a big racket and just got really kind of wild on it and uh, realised that uh, we were really evenly matched on me on drums, her on bass, and that we made a pretty good sound. We attached ourselves to these very simple grooves, but um, I taped them, um, as I usually do with anything in the music room, and the next night we played them back and actually found them to be pretty damn entertaining and uh, got us moving and... It's just spawned, they, they became songs eventually, and uh, we thought we'll be an album and we'll have a band, and it's something, you know. So, has she spent the last 30 years being a frustrated non member of your group? Do you know what I mean? She really. always wanted to play. It's, 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 it's pretty that it worked out so well. No, she, it's a late vocation. I mean, yeah. she didn't start drinking till she, till she was 35, so now we're making up for that. And, um, <laughs> and now we're starting playing at, you know, around, oh, I won't say what age, but. Um, uh, yeah, it's just a late thing that happened, and it was purely freakish. Really, we just ended up jamming one night, and it was a good sound. And it, you were picking instruments that you weren't wasn't weren't your first instrument. Well, I'm no drummer. I, you know, I never thought I was. Anyway, I'd been given an opportunity one night um, at a club in LA um, with by Robin Hitchcock and Grantley Phillips to play drums for them, and uh, came unstuck on "All You Need Is Love" in the bar of five. But <laughs> it was a bit of a beat. That's right. Yeah, yeah, there's an extra beat. Yeah. Um, but you know, I, I can attach myself to a very simple remedial groove. We were also inspired, I've got to say, by the band ESG, um, who we were. I became aware of, and they made funk seem accessible. And I guess the same way that punk music made it, um, rock seem accessible for people who couldn't really play. ESG, even though they're great players, actually, they make it sound like somebody just playing in their bedroom, you know, and gave us a bit of inspiration to play funk. Because um, you've also done these things in your own right where you've, you've brought musicians up from the audience pretty much, haven't you? And uh, uh, We have done that at times, yeah. And said, you can, I'm going to teach you how to play... Four Seasons in One Day or whatever. Well, yeah. p- people, there was a guy stripped to Four Seasons in One Day at the Hammersmith Odeon one night. I which was, was there. Extraordinary. Was it you? Was uh, it you? No, yes. I was in the audience. <laughs> Until Didn't he was your road away. crew lock him out? I think your road crew locked him in the back, out of the, the back door, in the, in the back alley outside the Hammersmith Odeon. I that? thought that was where a bit severe. I thought, 
His girlfriend was a bit eventually embarrassed. She let him get down to his undies and then she sort of hurried up And this was in the stalls or on the stage? No, it's on the stage. On the front of stage, yeah. Yeah, yeah. During Four Seasons in One Day, which was the most most incongruous song you could strip to. (laughs) But he had no rhythm anyway. He was pissed as a fart and he had no rhythm whatsoever, so it didn't matter, you know. Yeah. I love the way his girlfriend just sits there and says, right, that's enough. I'm no, she pants. let him, yeah. No, yeah well, yeah. his wife fronts looked a bit grubby, to be honest, and, and I think she was a little bit embarrassed when it got down to that. So the Pyjama Club is not just the two of you. Uh, no, there's four-piece band, and uh, we have Sean Donnelly, who's a friend and a um, very great songwriter and musician himself from Auckland, playing keyboards and a little bit of guitar. He helped us make the record. He was our collaborator. And we have Alana Skyring, who's from Brisbane, Australia, playing drums, um, and she's, uh, yeah, it's just a really interesting and characterful band, I think. They, you had to miss a gig the other night, didn't you? Well, we did, unfortunately. We had a, um, Sean had a medical situation which became acute and, and he was under doctor's orders and it's, uh, it's always upsetting to blow a gig out, but we had to knock Brighton on the head. But right. we got him back in good shape for last night at Bush Hall. Right. Well, look, we're going to hear from them in a minute. We're going yeah. to have to move this kind of question time set up down the front. Yeah. And hear from, uh, it'll take a few minutes to, to set up, and then you're going to be hearing from a couple of numbers from Pajama Club. But first, thanks very much, Neil Finn. All right. Thank you. And, and first, another junction from Kerry Shale. This is the Word Paddlewheeled Podcast. Entertaining seafarers since about half past two. It gives me great pleasure to announce, for the first time on water anyway, ladies and gentlemen, the Pajama Club. Give you some of my love. Let me take your mind off. Trouble is your title. I put you in my dream. i 
So that's uh, Pyjama Club with Neil Finn uh, performing live on the in the ballroom of the Dixie Queen at the Word on the Water event yesterday, which we all had a fantastic time at. And thanks very much to everybody who came. Thanks very much to the acts who gave their time uh, to come and, uh, and maybe such a special afternoon. Uh, maybe there'll be more on that kind of thing in the future. I hope so. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah absolutely. That's what everybody's saying, you know. Oh, can you do it next week? <laughs> of course, the weather's beautiful, you know. So if the weather's beautiful, it makes absolutely everything go with it. Go, uh, go splendidly, doesn't it? So, Jude, what have you been up to? Anything? Um, what have I been up to? Oh, this well, this weekend, before I went to the Word in the Water uh, event, I was writing up an interview with Dolly Parton. Right. It was very exciting. Um, I interviewed her um, on the phone recently. Um, what did she have to say? Um, well, what do you think she had to say, Dave? I'm intrigued to know. Well, how, how would well, you yeah, approach Dolly Parton? She's one of those people who's just a very practised interviewee, yes. isn't she? And it's the old jokes about, you know, it costs a fortune to look this cheap and all that. Mm. She kind of sends up herself, doesn't yes. she? Yes. Um, I spent so long preparing because I had, um, initially I had 15 minutes with which I should have had to write a 2,000-word piece. Right. So I thought this is but um, she talks impossible. Fast, she does talk fast. Um, and then that got pushed up to 20. But um, knowing that you're going to be interviewing somebody who's such a practised interviewee and trying to get something new out of Dolly Parton, who was the consummate performer, was a very, very <coughs> difficult thing. Um, it was quite funny because um, I was all ready and... Steeled for the challenge, and um, in the first, you know, five seconds, she starts singing "Hey Jude" to me down the phone, and instantly I melt, and then I'm like a puppy with my legs, and they go, "Oh, Dolly!" And um, it's quite funny listening back to the Because she can sing, can't she? She can, and I do. I have. <laughs> to actually, be fair, she can. My sing. other half is going to get that and um, cut the sound file up and put us a ringtone. Wouldn't that be amazing? <laughs> Dolly Parton singing yeah. out of your phone. Um, but yeah, she was she was good. You know, um, I did. I, I tried to push her quite hard and be quite aggressive on certain things. I was try, asked, trying to ask about her. You know, obviously, you know, everyone asks her about her invisible husband and oh, sexuality and everything. Um, but I was trying to use what questions to get around that, asking about you know her gay fans and how she reconciles her you know Don Tootin Southern religious values with her love of her gay audience and blah 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 um, I also asked her how she manages to not have a bad back with her big bosom which I thought was quite amusing um, and she was talking about um, Johnny Cash quite a bit um, and it has is, is a story that she'd mentioned before it's very hard to ask her a question that isn't a story that she hasn't said before yeah 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 um, she's talking about how much she fancied Johnny Cash when she first saw him when she was 13 years old right um, she saw him on stage and she she said that was her first sexual encounter she didn't know what this thing was but what, um, just the feeling the feeling she... was but um, and <laughs> I asked her if she'd uh, acted upon her uh, sexual feelings towards Johnny Cash and obviously she said she hadn't um but um, she was very entertaining. I would have loved to spend an afternoon drinking, you know, tea and having some custard no, creams no, sure. with, with her. It's very difficult but with people like very that. Very stressful because... experience because I absolutely adore her. Um, and as an interviewer, you, you know, you, you're not supposed to be there trying to make them, you know, be your best friend. But, you know, you want, you want Dolly to like you at the end of the 20 minutes you're a no, massive fan of her music. It's a difficult it's a, Well, it's difficult with people like that, I think, particularly because they, you know, there's a, there's a great tradition of can you try and trip them up? And then you mm. think, well, what's the point? Yes, exactly. She's Dolly Parton for yeah, crying exactly, out Yeah, exactly. Don't expect her to behave like PJ Harvey or whatever. <laughs> you know, uh, she is what she is. And, and, that's, yeah. and actually, you're probably not wildly curious about Dolly Parton because everything you need to know, you kind of know, unless yeah. she were to tell you anything about a stranger relationship with her husband, which she's not going to do, no, exactly. is she? Um, she's talking about, a lot about how much she loved... Um, I was asking about, you know, music that inspired her the moment, and it was really interesting hearing her talk... About music in, in detail, actually, because nobody ever thinks of her as no, a musician. She's a, well, she's a proper musician. And she's fantastic. You know, she's there with her acrylic nails on playing the auto harp, and you're watching her. You know, I saw her in the O2 three years ago, and she was just wonderful. Um, but she was talking about Alison Krauss, and she thinks Alison Krauss can conduct an orchestra. That's how technically talented right. she is, and she's always impressed with people who are technically talented. Um, uh, yeah. I went to see her a few years ago when she did a kind of bluegrass show at, at Hammersmith. She had a bluegrass album oh, out. Yes. I can't remember who the band there. Mark and I went. And I may have told the story before, but uh, it was very interesting in terms of the gay audience mm. because the, the audience were, you know, the kind of traditional Wembley Country Festival, people wearing cowboy hats, you know, time-out readers, you know, Channel 4 sophisticates, um, you know, people who come to see a legend, and then a smattering of, of, of gay women sort of slightly cowboyishly dressed up, mm. who, who were sneaking their way towards the stage and, and obviously threatening some kind of stage invasion. They probably claim Dolly for their Intervention. own. Intervention. Yes. 
you know, and and they actually two or three of them actually got onto the stage. Oh wow! And the minders at the side, and Dolly has minders, you know, very very suited minders, very posh minders, who clearly at the side of the stage waiting for this to happen. And and as they made their way towards Dolly, one of these guys went over to the centre stage, and he pretty much picked up Dolly Pond because Dolly Pond on stage. Is so corseted, mm. and you know, there's a tight skirt, and the, whatever is going on in terms of the superstructure. The structural engineering, yeah. Absolutely, it's the fourth bridge, you know. <laughs> and uh, and uh, she, uh, she had to be picked up because she's incapable of independent movement of any speed other than a kind of Joan Rivers type, you know, tight skirted, mm. high heeled teeter. And, and he picked her up and pretty much put her under his arm as if he was removing a shop window mannequin <laughs> from the window of John Lewis. Seriously. He took hold of Dolly and he pretty much turned her, you know, 45 degrees yeah. and carried her off the stage. She was going sideways. Was she still singing? No, she was not <laughs> singing at that point. And then when the, uh, you know, the, the over-ardent lesbian fans were banished, uh, Dolly was pretty much returned to centre mm. stage and then continued doing her she's kind of... pro. She's an absolute pro. The one moment where she actually faltered a little bit. She faltered just slightly, which I, which I was quite pleased with, which is, again, a really weird thing to say. But I asked her, you know, how does it feel to still be performing when so many people, um, so many of your close peers are dead? You know, they're not around mm. anymore. Um, and, um, you know, she said that the first time she'd been asked that, which is probably a lie. Um, <laughs> and, um, you know, but she was talking about, you know, obviously, you know, Porter Wagon especially. Um, who, who was the kind of lover figure, wasn't he, in the early part of our career? Yeah, Is that well, right? Yeah, well, they were because they, they, they sang, they did all duets on his show on TV before she, you know, left Porter and oh, yeah, wrote yeah. "I Will Always Love You" and whatever. But um, I love the story about "I Will Always Love You." How Colonel Tom Parker wanted Elvis to sing it, and and what he always used to do obviously is ask for the rights to the songs and the song she wouldn't give the rights away um and she really regretted that at the time because she thought i love this song but you know elvis could have sung it and she had could have, the song. could have been a big hit and it is and it is the biggest selling single by a female artist of all time the, the whitney houston cover of the 90s it's, you know i don't know the figure of what it's sold but it is of all time, the best-selling single by a female. So, so she's done all right. She got yeah. away. Right, right. So, Jude, since you were last on the podcast, you got married. Yes. Has married life? It's good. Last time I was on the podcast, Andrew Harrison asked me about this. Of course, I forgot and somebody about it. Yeah, somebody on the book said, oh, I'm shut sorry. up about your wedding. And, um, no, it's... Wedding um, of the year, Jude, was it? Yeah, well, come on. It was very good, thank it you. It was very well, good. Dave, Dave and Fraser, you were there, in the We evening. were there. Dancing to... Uh, the, the, a good wedding disco. I don't know if you you were fucking yes, down yeah, the front. Yeah, 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 yeah. My husband was dancing to "Dance the Night Away" by the Mavericks, which always made me laugh, given his usual tastes. But uh, it was marvellous. Yeah, good. So that's about it for this uh, week's podcast. Uh, Fraser, any interesting travel plans or anything coming up? Uh, no? Not this week, no. Not this week. I'm going away on the holiday next week to to Brittany, where the weather's going to be. Just like Britain. Yes. So no need to feel envious of me, of me at all. We'll play out with another tune uh, from the Pajama Club uh, album, which comes out on the 19th of September. This one's called These Are Conditions.
If you've been affected by any of the issues in this podcast, go to wordmagazine.co.uk or apply at your newsagent every month. If you'd like to get each and every Word podcast a whole day early, have access to all the hundreds of Word podcasts we've done over the last five years, and want to keep in touch with everything going on on our website, then you need the Word podcast app for iPhone and iTouch. The Word podcast is the form of entertainment that civilization has been working towards. A bunch of people stuck in a wardrobe talking utter bollocks. Search for the Word podcast app on iTunes. It costs £3.99, practically giving it away, as opposed to actually giving it away, which is what we've been doing. So- Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. 